0: Welcome to 7 Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, last week Mark was talking about things that the world says are normal, and God says, no, that's not normal. Um, Come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among who? The world and be separate. And um, the world, the church the anybody anybody should look at us as christians and notice a difference between us and the world there should be a difference there should be a difference in the way you walk the way you talk the way you carry yourself the way you treat your wife treat your husband the way you uh, handle your finances basically the way you live your life the way you dress even and that's one thing he was saying last week is if you were to put a christian woman next to someone who is perhaps a prostitute, you ought to be able to tell a difference in the way that they dress. Like, we shouldn't have to wonder, like, which one is the prostitute here, right? And so I think, uh, you know, we get caught up in what's normal, and uh, dysfunctional uh, families and dysfunctional lifestyles and a lot of dysfunctions um, seem to be what the world calls normal. Normal. And it's not normal. It's not normal at all, and it shouldn't be normal. We shouldn't get comfy and cozy in what the world calls normal. Amen? So, um, we'll get moving forward here with a, with a sermon, but um, if you've been going here for any length of time at all, you've probably heard me mention Gunsmoke, and that, that's, my, that's my favorite show on television. Like, that's number one. Number two is Andrew Griffith's show. Number three is Gunsmoke. It's number one and number three. I like it. I haven't got to watch it, I don't even think any at all, in the past two weeks. I was going to watch a little bit and I think I fell asleep um, because it's been so busy and come home from work and now it's time to go to the baseball and get home from baseball, shower, go to bed, get up, do it again, just wide open. and. Uh, I think that wide-open lifestyle is also uh, not, not good. And it's not healthy. And thankfully for me, it's just in seasons. We don't have baseball every night of the week all year or something would have to change because uh, we're not supposed to be that busy. There is supposed to be some time of rest. Amen? And it is a, it is a the enemy wants you to get so, so busy where you're just running and gunning all the time. There's no time for rest, no time for family, and that's why I'm thankful for Sundays. This is a, a day of rest. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, amen? And we come together as a family and we celebrate, but um, uh, gun smoke, back to that. So, like if there's some bad guys held up in a uh, cabin or an old shack in the woods somewhere, and Matt Dillon tracks them down, and it'll be usually him and Chester, or maybe him and Festus out there, or him and Quinn. And they'll say, come out with your hands up. They're in a stronghold. They're held up. They think they're, everything's okay. You know, they're nice and comfortable in their hideout. But then he tracks them down, and he says, this is Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Come out with your hands up. So the title of today's sermon is, come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. That'll make sense here in a bit hopefully so come out with your hands up so let's let's get into the word mark the first chapter and we'll start in the 14th verse right here we'll read a few now after john was put in prison jesus came into galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent repent Believe in the gospel. And I like that kingdom of God is at hand. And what that means is you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to start experiencing some benefits, some things, some favor, some blessings from the kingdom of God. It's at hand right now. It's obtainable right now. And how you obtain it is found in this scripture right here. And it says to repent, believe in the gospel. It's obtainable. Repent from whatever... Way of living it is, which means turn and walk another way. Don't go that way. Quit going that direction. Let's change directions right here. Let's believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's at hand. It's obtainable. I want you to know this morning, it's obtainable for you as well. It's obtainable. A good marriage is obtainable. Peace is obtainable. Healing is obtainable. Amen? Having friends who you can actually trust, that's obtainable. It's obtainable. Finding a good church. A good church is obtainable. Lots of things are obtainable. Things that fall under the kingdom of God umbrella, they're obtainable. Amen? They're obtainable to us because of Jesus. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. That's important. Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter. Simon is Peter. Simon, Peter, and his his brother Andrew, they are fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when they had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were also, uh, who also were in the boat mending their nets. They were fishermen, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they went after Jesus. Now, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. All the same stories in there. And some have more details than others. And I like uh, the way Mark does it because it's like he's a painter, an artist uh, painting on a canvas. And he is painting us a picture of the authority and the power that Jesus Christ had and that he used here on earth. He's painting us a picture. Um, and he... he He gets the essence of the conversation. There's lots of details. You know, if they wrote every single word, every single detail, everything that Jesus did, you know, the Bible would be stacked up. You know, it would be be too big to carry. But He gets us the essence of the conversation. I'm sure there was a little more... Words that trans, you know, that there's a little more transaction there. They talked a little more. They probably discussed a few things. I don't think he was just walking by and said, hey, come on, let's go, and just kept walking. They probably talked for a a bit. He probably shared some word with them. And, um, but, but Mark is giving us the essence of the conversation here. And I want you to see, though, that they left their comfort. And they came into their calling. He called them, hey, come on, come on what? Be one of the twelve, one of the disciples. You all know they, they became followers of Christ and they followed Him and became disciples. But they left something that was very comfortable And something that was very familiar, they're out there fishing. It was a family business. It's not that it was unsuccessful. It was successful. It says they hired hired hands. You don't have hired hands if you don't have money to pay hired hands. This was a fishing business. So if we looked at it today's world, you know, it was somebody that owned a business. Maybe you owned a local, the Ace Hardware up here. Maybe you did construction. Maybe you had a roofing company. The list goes on and on. But they they worked for themselves. They were self-employed. They had hired helpers. And they left what was comfortable and left what was familiar and came into the calling. And let me tell you, listen to me. When Jesus calls you to come into uh, your calling, you're going to have to leave this place that's called comfort. Because it's not always comfortable. When He calls you, it's to leave the familiar and leave the comfortable and come into your calling. Because He doesn't give you a map and tell you exactly where you're going to go and what time you're going to get there. He doesn't mail you a blueprint. I wish He did. But He just says, go. Come. Let's go. And it's this thing called faith. You come out of the familiar and you enter into faith. Amen? So, I want you to understand the function here uh, that that Jesus... um, we have to understand His function. Jesus didn't come to make sure you were nice and comfy. He didn't come to make sure you were nice and comfortable. He called them out of their comfort and into their calling, and I'm sure it was very uncomfortable. Getting up, walking away from the only thing you know, and you don't even know where you're going. I just know I'm going and answering the call, calling here. And so it's it's important to understand the function of Christ that Christ didn't come to make you comfortable. It's very important to understand the function of a relationship here because we're supposed to have a relationship with Christ and we do have a relationship with Christ, a personal relationship. Uh, Amen. So it's important to understand the function here. It's kind of like... Have you seen the videos of people at the gym and they're working out and they'll be using a machine of cables and doing all this stuff totally wrong. (laughs) Like, you know, it's supposed to go this way and they're doing it this way or, you know, just they're just in it too. They're just working out so hard and then they get finished and they probably flex up in front of the mirror and meanwhile, everybody else is just cracking up laughing because that wasn't the function of that machine. That wasn't the function of it. Or sometimes maybe you're at work and you see people that use tools incorrectly. I see it on a daily basis. <laughs> Uses things incorrectly. My papa liked to use things incorrectly. He had a one-ton truck and he thought it was a highway tractor, 18-wheeler. <laughs> he pulled a, a 70-foot mobile home home all the way from York, Alabama to Fultondale with a one-ton truck. 70 foot long. And he made it. But that's not what the truck was designed to pull, I can tell you that. It wasn't designed to pull that. And like I said, the weight equipment, sometimes that's not the way it's designed. But I want you to understand the function of the relationship with Christ. Christ didn't come to make sure you were nice and comfy. And we can do that in the same with relationships with with each other. Like, I can try to be something to you that I'm not. And I can expect you to be something to me that you're not and you're never called to be. And that's not the nature. Uh, that was not what God intended. And so, my mom, uh, I had to apologize to her just the other day. And it's not because of that picture I put over on Facebook. <laughs> I've had so many people getting on to me, I think I've even had a couple death threats. But see, if people were actually just chewing my rear end out of that, you just don't know my mother. But I do. I do. She laughed so hard that we had to quit talking about it because it was she had surgery and it was hurting. Her insides uh, were hurting because she was laughing so hard. Uh, fun and good times. That's what I thought. But I uh, even someone at a gas station yesterday, a lady's like, come here. I came over there and she just told me how terrible I was. <laughs> and some other lady sent my sister a message telling her how terrible I was. And I'm like, well, why don't she just send me the message? But, <laughs> you know, I had to apologize to my mother because of this. See, um, somewhere along the line, I decided I needed to be her daddy. So I started trying to bolster around, tell her what to do and tell her what she was doing wrong, probably when I was about 14, 15 years old. <clears throat> and it just got worse. And I become an adult, I mean, I would say, "Don't do that. You're doing that. Don't do that. Do this. What are you doing? Anyway, I, would, I didn't even realize I was really doing it exactly until uh, the time had passed, but I realized I'm trying to be her daddy. But I'm not. I'm her son. I'm not her daddy. She's not my daughter. So it's like I was her dad, and she was not my daughter, but my rebellious daughter, because she would never mind me. <laughs> so I get on to her about something she put on Facebook, and instead of obeying me, she just blocks me and unfriends me, her own son. <laughs> but the Lord showed me this the other day that, that that's dysfunctional. What I was doing was dysfunctional because I'm her son, I'm not her daddy. And in, and in trying to be her daddy, uh, I was robbing her from her son. So it's like I stole her son from her. And uh, that's dysfunctional. When you try to be something to your wife, that you're, I'm only called to be her husband. That's all. I'm called to be the father of my four children, not their friend. I'm their father. We'll pile around and goof off and have a good time. At the end of the day, I'm your daddy. I'm not your friend. Uh, we might goof off, but only to a certain degree. And then, then it's fishing get real. But you see, too many parents are friends first and daddy or mama second. And then when it comes time for you to be daddy or mama, daddy or mama moment, your kids don't really respect you and don't look at you like a daddy or a mama because you've been too good of a friend. I'm your daddy, not your friend. I don't even want to be your friend. I don't want to be friends with a bunch of little punks. <laughs> I'm a grown man. (laughs) I wasn't called to be a friend. I was called to be a daddy. You understand? I wasn't called to be my wife's dad or brother or anything else, just her husband. She's my wife. And together as a husband and a wife, we make one and we raise our children to the best of our ability and uh, put the Lord first. Amen. But see, you can do that wrong. And now you created a dysfunctional relationship. That's why I want you to understand Christ, uh, Christ's primary function here is not to be uh, to make you comfortable. See, He preached a sermon one time, and He said at the end of the sermon, everybody's liking the sermon. It's in the Book of John, and it's toward the end of the book there. And towards uh, everybody's liking the sermon, and towards the end of the sermon, He says, "You're going to have to eat My flesh and drink My blood." Then they said, "Oh, that's weird." Drink flesh, eat blood. Well, he didn't mean come over here and take a bite out of me. But he's talking about the word eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they said, Oh, then it said, Many of them turned and walked away. Actually, it's John the 6th chapter, the 66th verse, 666 says, They turned and followed away. They didn't follow him any longer because it just got too, too weird for them, too weird for them. His primary function is to not to be your comforter. You know what Jesus' primary function was when he came? To confront. To confront. To confront the system that keeps you and humanity in bondage. The system that keeps you in slave, enslaved, that keeps you bound. Jesus came and confronted the system. He came and confronted religious people. He came and confronted sin. That's why He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe on Me. Jesus came to confront. So we think God... Is comfy and anything that's uncomfortable or if there's any type of conflict, that comes from the devil. But that's just simply not true. You see all the time God gets blamed for the work of Satan and Satan will get credit for God's work. Perhaps somebody gets sick and they die and then you say, never know when God's going to take you. Don't know why God did that. Well, God didn't do that. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. It can't be any more plain than that. And if God was a killer, He'd be a murderer. And if He was a murderer, He'd be breaking His own commandments. It says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. It's pretty simple. But God's not coming to kill you. And he's not coming to, to make you sick. In fact, He died on a cross. His stripes on His back so that you wouldn't have to be sick by His stripes. You were healed. Amen. Praise the Lord. He doesn't kill you, but He receives you. So, anyway, God gets the, the blame for a lot of the work of Satan. But I think a lot of times God's working in your life, doing some things. He's confronting some things. He's making you uncomfortable. And then we're quick to blame it on Satan. When it's really God's work, He's working. And He's saying, Come out of the familiar and come out of the comfort and come into your calling. These guys, they were fishermen. He didn't change that. He just says, I'm going to make you a fisherman of men. You're still fishing. We're just fishing for something else. We're fishing for something for souls. Amen. Not for fish. Not for fish to go sell at the market. But we're fishing for souls here. And they forsook. He's saying forsake your comfort. When you forsake your comfort, you'll find your calling. And to think that you're going to find your calling, your purpose in life without forsaking uh, some things or forsaking your uh, familiarity or, or, or forsaking comfort, that would be like saying, I want a really thin waistline, but I'm just going to eat chocolate cake every day. You can't. If you want to have a thin waist, you're going to have to say no to the chocolate cake and maybe just reward yourself like once a week or something on the weekend like a little treat but if you eat it every day you're not going to have a thin waist and we can understand that can't we well the same thing transfers over into spiritual things and um, when Jesus says come and follow me um, they left what was familiar they left what was common. they left what they knew and they went there's no certainty he didn't say let's sign a contract they just went not knowing. That's what Abraham did. He says, Come on, Abraham, time to move. Where are we going? We're going that way. That's all you need to know. Pack it up. But it's familiar here, it's comfortable and it's cozy. Time to move. Moses went out to a wilderness. It wasn't very comfortable out there with his father-in-law Jeffro for 40 years because all his robes and rings and his education that he had wasn't doing him a bit of good out there tending those sheep. It was uncomfortable. And then probably 40 years later, he settled in. He's probably getting comfortable out there tending to the sheep. Now all of a sudden, time to go stand in front of Pharaoh and speak. Well, now you're leaving the familiar going into the unfamiliar, and something that's uncomfortable. When God calls you, it's not going to be comfortable. Amen? But I noticed he used what the guys were good at. He said, you're going to be fishers, not a fish, but fishers of men. And I think he will use what you're good at. He's not just going to change your career just because you got saved. I've heard of women uh, who were uh, professional dancers, not just dancers but strip dancers, they got saved. You know they didn 't quit going to the strip clubs. they kept going they quit stripping, but they kept going, and when the girls will be back backstage they 'd be ministering to them, sharing the word of God with them. Amen he didn 't change. I raced motorcycles and uh, I didn't have a series. And Stick, who's not here today, he's out of town on his aniv- celebrating his anniversary, but he didn't have a series. But there's things I was good at. I would go out and make my own trail and I grew up in the woods hunting and. Uh, I learned to navigate through the woods and just have a good sense of direction and how to get the best out of the property. And so that's something I was good at, and I had done a lot of it for years, just doing it for myself, just doing it for fun, just going out, cutting and riding, tons of trails everywhere. Well, all of a sudden now God used that and turned it into a series where we race And hundreds of people come, and hundreds of people have come to know Christ through that. But he used what I was good at, and then he used what Stick was good at, which is the sign-up and the scoring, everything related to a computer. I don't do computers. I'm not good at it. Don't care about it. Don't even want to be good at it. I don't like computers. The phone, the computer on my phone is about as technical as I get. I just Google something every now and then to look something up. But he used what he was good at and he used what I was good at and they combined them together and made a business out of it, a business that has reached a lot of lives, a lot of souls. It wasn't outside of my competency. Do you understand? And he's not going to use something that's outside of your competency. In other words, he didn't make me the praise and worship leader because I can't sing a lick. And he's not going to put you up here singing if you can't sing either. Although some have tried. (laughs) Some have tried. One lady said, I want to sing. And I said, okay. She said, I've been called to sing. God's given me a voice. Called me to sing. I need to be up there singing. I said, okay, well, we'll listen to you. Check you out. See what I think. I shouldn't have to do that for you because God called me. And I said, well, he may have called you, but if you're going to get up here and sing, that's what you're going to do. I'm going to listen to you. Well, she said she wasn't going to do that. She didn't have to do that. So what she did was she moved and she started sitting by me. She started singing real loud so I could hear her. And I'm like, dear Lord Jesus. No sense in us doing an audition because that's bad. But God's not going to call you to get up and lead a song if everybody out there is like, you know, Somebody stabbed my eardrums with ice picks. I mean, it's not. It's not. So just because you, you know, like a a certain type of a, let's just say you, you like coffee. I don't think that when you get saved and now you like coffee that you should quit your job that you've been at for 20 years and go up and open a coffee shop. Just like make a cup of coffee before you leave home. You'll be good. But to forsake the familiar and walk in faith. In order to walk in faith, you're going to have to forsake what's familiar and get out of what's comfortable and get out of the common to answer the calling. And that statement right there, Jesus validated himself. What could be more comfortable than heaven? I mean he's in heaven. And he came out of heaven, humbled himself, and became and came here to earth to live as a man, just like me and you. And to experience all the things that you and I experienced. In other words, he came out of what was comfortable. And um, it's easy, I think, I've reflected back on my life, you know, if you've experienced a failure and now you're you're broke, busted, and disgusted, you've got nowhere to go but up because you're at the bottom of the barrel. And, you know, now you're going to answer the calling on your life. Well, what else you got to do? I mean, where else are you going to go? But what if you're successful? What if you've got a good looking spouse and you got money and the kids are good, nice house, cars, and you got your job and your career is good and things are going well, then God calls you out. So that's when it's tough, when He calls you out of what's familiar, but not just what's familiar, but what's nice and comfortable. I have a friend who's a Baptist preacher in Huntsville, Alabama, and you know that he went to college, and he had this degree in business, and he was uh, very well-educated, very smart, lived in a big house over on, uh, on 280 somewhere in one of those huge subdivisions. He had it going on. He even had his own airplane. But then God said, time to preach, you know what? He forsook all that and became a preacher. And his income just got, went down to a fifth of what he was making. But God has provided everything he's needed, provided a nice home and provided and made a way for him. But what I'm saying is that's when it's hard to walk away from, when it's nice and comfortable. And Satan wants to keep you comfortable, not just comfortable, but comfortable in your dysfunctional life and keep you comfortable in sin. Um, so Jesus here, He goes into Capernaum. Is it Capernaum or is it Capernaum? Because the first time I preached this and read Scripture, and I said Capernaum. And I kept saying Capernaum. And I saw some people looking at me, and they were looking, I could just tell by the look on their face, something's wrong. And I'm like, is my... My zipper, no, it's up. So what could it be? Well, anyway, I found out later it was Capernaum. But the reality is it's not Capernaum. And when you say Capernaum, you miss the whole thing. It's not Capernaum. The real pronunciation is, it's like two words put together. It's kapher, Kepher Nahum, kafir Nahum. The closest we can get to it is Capernaum. And what that means is kapher means village and Naum means comforter it's the village of the comforter so when you just say Capernaum you really miss the whole meaning because everything in the Bible has a meaning the cities have meanings names have meanings roads have meanings days numbers everything in there has a meaning it all means something if you look in it and study it is pretty it's fascinating it's the most awesome book you'll ever read Never study it's not boring at all but Capernaum Or Capernaum means village of the comforter. So that's where Jesus starts His ministry. And I'll just call it Capernaum. He starts His ministry there in that city. That's where He starts His... uh, and He he calls His twelve. And Jesus is the guest speaker here in the synagogue. So let's see. Mark will pick up where we left off. Then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes did. Now the scribes are reading the Word and Jesus is reading the Word. It's the same Word. The only difference is the way He did it versus the way they did it. Are you following me? So they were astonished. They were amazed. Wow, he's teaching as one who has authority. It's not what he was teaching, but it was how he was teaching it. With authority. See, it's not always what you say, but it's how you say it that speaks louder. than How you say it will speak louder than what it is that you actually say. See, a lot of times your life that you live and how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your children, decisions you make, things you say, things you don't say will speak louder perhaps than what I'm saying to you right here, right now. It'll speak louder to those around you. At work, what you say, what you do, people see the way the way you do it, it speaks loud. It speaks loud without even speaking. And it speaks loud. Amen? He calls His disciples. I notice He calls His disciples not to make Him comfortable because you know that they didn't always make Him comfortable. He had to get on to Peter often because Peter would talk too much, say too much. He's he, washing his feet. Peter's talking. Mount Transfiguration. Peter's talking. They're fixing to take him to the cross. Peter's ready to fight. Chop his ear off. I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna d- deny you. I'll never leave you. Rooster's crowing, and I'm sure there was other things with the disciples. The disciples. He didn't pick them that made him comfortable. He picked the ones that can make him effective. Praise the Lord. So God didn't always use things and people in your life to make you comfortable, but to make you effective. And He's here in this city where His ministry started. That's where He does most of His ministry. He performed 22 miracles here in this city. And in the 23rd verse. Now there was a man there, I mean in their synagogue. A man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out. Now look at this. There was a man in their synagogue. Now, once again, Jesus is not the senior pastor. He's just a guest speaker. This is not his synagogue. This is their synagogue. And there was a man in their synagogue. That means he was a member of the church. He was a member of the country club. He was a member. He didn't just come on Easter. In fact, there wasn't an Easter. He was there. He was a member. He was there every week. He sat in a blue chair every week. He was a member of their synagogue. He was a part of what was going on and then he cried out. So that's dysfunctional to me that, that he was there every week. But the, the demon never cried out, never said anything. There was never a disruption. It says he cried out in the 24th verse saying, let us alone. What have you to do with... With you, Jesus of Nazareth, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon inside the man, the evil spirit knew who Jesus was, but the other people didn't know who he was. Demons know who he is. They tremble at the name of Jesus. That's why he was crying out. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to what? The name of Jesus. Amen. So, I want you to understand this about the demon. Don't just look at it as a demon. Oh, this man was demon possessed. Or you missed the whole point. You, you never read in your Bible where it says anybody was diagnosed with a disease from the doctor and gave some pills that they had to take. That's because everything was a demon. If you read in your Word, there was an evil spirit, there was a demon, there was some kind of devil, there was something behind it because there is something behind it. There was something then, there is something now. There was a dysfunction, something was dysfunctional in this man's life. The fact that he was in church every week for all these many years and nothing had changed, that itself is dysfunctional. Something should have changed. And nothing did change until Jesus came on the scene and He confronted the problem. And nothing will change in your life until Jesus comes on the scene and confronts your problem, but He's not going to kick the door in. You certainly have to invite Him in because He's a gentleman. So don't look at it and think demon and go home tonight and turn all your lights on and think, you know, there's a demon going to get me. Demons are real. You go to other countries, you'll see more of it. Not that I've been, but I've heard stories where, you know, spooky stuff. The demons are still real here. But it's not saying, uh, I'm saying don't, don't, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. If this, this dysfunctional life that this man's living, there's something behind it. And um, it's an evil spirit or a demon. He says, let us alone. Who are you? The Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out. And I don't think Jesus probably shouted and screamed real loud. I think when you have authority, you don't have to. The authority I have in my house, I don't have to scream. I can just say, hey, psst, quiet. I shouldn't have to scream real loud to be quiet because I have authority. And if you do have to scream real loud all the time, something's off, something's dysfunctional. Amen. Amen or oh me, I don't know. But the demon had to come out. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. He had no choice but to come out because Jesus said come out. Just like when Jesus told Lazarus to come out of the grave. You're talking about a power and authority speaking here. So here I want to stop right here for a moment and ask you this question. This man's occupying space in this Synagogue, and there's something that's occupying space in this man's life, some type of dysfunctional, messed up life that he's living. So is there anything occupying space in your life that needs to come out, that needs confronted, that needs to address? Have you got comfortable in it? You can get comfortable in it. You can get real nice and comfy in it. And if you don't allow Jesus to confront it, it won't come out. See, I don't think we like dysfunction. I don't think we like where dysfunction comes from. I think we recognize where it comes from. I don't think we like that. I don't think we like the dysfunctional part. But I do think we like the way it makes you feel. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. It feels good. See, when you can start focusing on other people's dysfunctions or draw attention away from your dysfunction, it feels good too. So we can start, we can go down the list and start naming people and how they should be parenting, how they should be spending their money and how they should be doing, uh, treating their husband or wife or how they should be doing things. And now we're, we're looking at their dysfunction, but really looking at their dysfunction and pointing out all their dysfunctional is dysfunctional in itself. Are y'all following me? It's fun. They even had TV shows on TV where they roast each other. Where they roast each other. They'll have a guest that comes on, and then they'll have more guests that come on, and they'll spend hours saying terrible things about the guy, and it's all funny, and they laugh, and they're roasting him. I clicked on one of those one time and listened just for a few seconds, but... You know, after, before I could even turn it off, they've already used the Lord's name in vain two or three times and dropped a few F-bombs. I can't listen to that garbage. I'm not going to listen to that garbage. But, but I was just seeing what it's about. But ultimately what it's about is they just roast you. They talk about all your dysfunctions. It even happened at my house last night. I was just messing with my, my daughter, giving her a hard time, aggravating her, you know, just messing around with her. But then, what, where it went south was, Mason laughed at what I was saying. He didn't even do anything. He just laughed. Now, he's in serious trouble. So, you know, I went back to the bedroom, and I was like, man, I just, I just got that stirred up. I said one little thing. and But we do that. This... You know why they call it dysfunction? Because it's fun. This fun. Shin. This fun. It is. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Indulging in all your insecurities and, and talking about other people and, and saying things, and, you know, uh, it can be fun. And, but let me tell you what happens is you, you snuggle up with this. You snuggle up with this thing and you go to bed with it. And you take it to church with you and you take it to work with you. You take it out to the ball field with you and you snuggle up and you become a bestie. Is this too real? I know if we started preaching the revelations about Jesus having, you know, splitting the eastern sky and hair like wool and Eyes like fire, and shoes that are like bronze, uh, glowing like a furnace, and His voice like many rushing waters. Everybody shouts an amen, but you start talking about things that are real, real, like, not that that's not real, but I'm talking about like real in your life, things we need to work on in our life, and it gets quiet. You know what that is? That is called uncomfortable. You're getting a little uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Because Jesus is confronting some things in your life and it's not that comfortable. Maybe you start scrumming around in your seat or uh, looking down or whatever and your heart starts beating a little faster than normal. Maybe your hands are kind of sweaty. That's because the Holy Spirit, He's he's working. Because Jesus didn't come to make you comfy. Sometimes it is uncomfortable. And you indulge in these things and this becomes an excuse not to fulfill the calling on your life. And really, um, all these insecurities, all they do is imprison you. And then you find comfy, comfortable, you become comfortable in it. I could have sworn somebody was just standing over there. Wow. He is coming to make us uncomfortable. (laughs) One thing I've learned is you go through some things. A lot of times you go through things, you go through some trouble, but it's really not about you. It's not about you. Sometimes if you slow down, take a moment and not focus on yourself so much, but sometimes you're going through some things, It's not really about you. It's just you're going to go through it, but then shortly thereafter, you're going to meet somebody else in life that's going through the same thing or something similar. And now you can help them through what they're going through because you've got experience because you've already been through it. See, God can take trouble and take things and turn and make good things out of them. And there's nothing that feels better than helping somebody else go through a situation like that and helping somebody else and leading them to the Lord and seeing them be set free instead of dragging around a bunch of chains and weights and shackles and bondage. Amen? Praise the Lord. So God, Jesus confronts us. He confronts... Um, You say, well, I thought the Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us. He was. He was. He was sent to comfort you. See, you need to find comfort in the Lord. Just like David said, he had to strengthen himself in the Lord. He was uncomfortable and he went and found comfort in the Lord. You don't need to go find comfort in the world or go find comfort from other places. And God says, he's going to come to comfort us and he's going to use you to comfort others, but never does it give you permission to comfort yourself. See, you're always supposed to find your comfort in the Lord. And when the Lord uses you to comfort someone else, He's actually comforting them through you. You're just now a vessel. You're just a tool. Amen? See, Satan wants you to run for cover. That's outside your calling. He wants you to find comfort in other places. And my wife showed me this. We're fixing to read the scriptures to back it up. But when my wife showed me this. She told me this. She's talking about as a roaring lion. In First Peter five eight it says the adversary, who is Satan, he's prowling around. Looking for somebody to devour. That's why you've got to be on guard. You've got to be smart. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be paying attention. But it says he comes like a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. Now, I've heard it preached for my whole life that he's not a roaring lion. He's not. He comes like a roaring lion posing as a roaring lion. But you look up and do some studying on lions and you can learn a lot of things about them. But the older lions who have not, they're not the boss anymore. They're not the, 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 the big dog or the big cat anymore in their, in their uh, what's it called, the pride. Okay? They're older. Now the younger, stronger ones can, can whip them. So it's a pecking order. Perhaps they don't have as many teeth. Maybe they don't have any teeth. They've lost some teeth, but they can still roar. So what they'll do is they'll go out and roar at their prey, even though they may be too old to run them down and jump on them and attack them, but they'll roar on their prey to make their prey run in the direction of the other lions who can attack. And so Satan wants to come, and he wants to roar, and he wants to make you run and find comfort in worldly things. He wants you to run away from your calling as fast as you can because when you're running to comfort, you're running from calling. Amen. In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter and the third verse, praise to be to the God and our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is the God. That's where you're going to find real true comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Notice it doesn't say He comforts you in all of your dysfunctional, jacked up, messed up life. He he comforts you in all your troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What I was just explaining. We go through trouble, God comforts us. Why? So that we can comfort others in trouble. Amen. But see, Here's what what it is. He comforts us in our trouble. Satan wants to comfort you in your dysfunctional, messed up life. He wants you to find comfort in your dysfunctional life. He wants you to get nestled down, snuggled up with it, to get familiar with it. See, the comfort from Satan is dysfunctional in itself. That's why you've got to find comfort in the right place. People sometimes find comfort in food. Bad day. Bad relationship. Bad something. Bad. Let's eat. I don't think that I've ever said, I've had a bad day. I just want to go eat something. But people do it all the time. People have said, I've had a bad day. Let's go drink something. I need to get. I need something to knock the edge off. Go get a. A six-pack or half a case or maybe a whole case. Maybe you want to knock the edge completely off. <laughs> but see, these foods, the food is good to you. It's just not good for you. But see, there's comfort people too. People that are good to you, but they're not good for you. Hello? Relationships? Relationships? He's good to me. She's good to me. But they're not good for you. Because you're just finding now, you're just finding comfort in a, a dysfunctional relationship or a dysfunctional life. We do the same thing with hobbies and jobs and a lot of other things. But this comfort I'm talking about sabotages the calling on your life and it sabotages the power of God that you're going to see work in your life. Amen. It does. And a lot of times God, when I say God and Satan getting mixed up who's doing what. Back to that. So sometimes God will allow trouble to come into your life um, so that He can bring you comfort. That's why I say sometimes you need to slow down. Where is this coming from? Why is this coming? Why is this happening? Is God confronting something in my life? Is He trying to get me out of this uh, dysfunctional, comfort, comfortable a familiar thing that's become all too familiar a relationship and he's confronting it and causing trouble because I need to move on and get out of it because trouble can transform you. How do I know? Because trouble transformed me. I had trouble come into my life and it completely transformed my life. Do I think God like sent the trouble? Not necessarily. But do I think he allowed the trouble? Absolutely. And by allowing the trouble to come into my life, I became broken and I said, I need you. I need some comfort because I've been getting comforted by worldly things and money and all these other things, but now all of a sudden this is becoming very uncomfortable. I need comfort, that can the real comfort that can only be found in one place and that's the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden, I'm snuggling up with this new kind of comfort. All of a sudden a peace that surpasses all understanding. Hey, Amen. But it came, first trouble came. And you can run from the trouble. When the lion roars, you can run from the trouble and run back to that guy that's been beating you for five years. You know you've been shacking up with him. He's been beating you for five years. Good for nothing. Worthless. But now you started going to church. But then the lion roars, and now I'm going to run back to this old deadbeat because that's all I know. That's what I've been doing. It's... I saw my daddy beat my mama, and it 's just the way no it 's not the way it is and I could go on with examples for for hours i think you're you 're on the same page with me. I hope at least we 're in the same book at least when you get uncomfortable. That can be God confronting issues. And like I said, Jesus came to confront. He did not come to condemn. You never see in Scripture Jesus condemning anybody or anything, but He does confront a lot of people. He confronts the religious leaders. He confronts the whole process in which they did things. He confronts all the issues and all the things that keeps His people, His sons and His daughters in slavery and bound. And nothing's changed 2,000 years later. He's here this morning to confront. What's occupying space? This demon right here got uncomfortable. And you see, we read in Scripture, all of a sudden now there's a disruption in the service. A lot of times things have to die so that new things can be born. And God's trying to kill something in your life. So that something new can be born in your life. Sometimes he's killing a relationship so this new relationship that's better can be born. Sometimes he's trying to uh, kill an old way of thinking so that you can have this new way of thinking. Sometimes he's wanting to kill what's comfortable so that he can show you what true comfort really is. And he does it by confronting. Amen. Satan wants you to stay comfy. I don't think I've ever had anybody to get saved and talk to me afterwards and say, you know, man, my life is good. Me and my wife get along perfect. Um, we both have great jobs. Our kids are great. Everything's great. Basically, everything in my life is absolutely spot on, spectacular, wonderful. I just thought, I mean, I might as well get saved too. I've never, I've never experienced that. Usually... Somebody got uncomfortable. I got uncomfortable. Jesus confronted me, and now all of a sudden it's not so comfy anymore. Satan wants to keep you comfy. And see, Jesus is confronting what the world calls normal. So don't live in the dark when He's called you to live in the light. Look at television. All the shows, the commercials, I don't even watch them, the shows, but just the commercials of what's fixing to come on TV is so disgusting. But it's so dysfunctional. But it's what the world calls normal. But it's not. Don't get comfy in that. Don't get comfy in that. Satan wants you to be comfy in that. Hey, ma'am, So in Capernaum, 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 however you want to pronounce it, the village of the Comforter. Jesus is here in their city confronting what everybody else is calling normal. And these guys are so comfy, they're so comfortable in their religion that they miss the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's standing right in front of them. This man had been in this synagogue for years, one of their own. Nothing had happened. Then Jesus comes in to confront it. But they're so comfortable in the familiar, in their religion, that they miss the revelation of Jesus Christ, the power and authority of Jesus Christ that's standing right in front of them. Do you realize they hosted him in his ministry? Let's read it. Then he began... No, I got ahead of myself. I don't want to read that yet. They hosted him... He's performing all His miracles here, His ministry here. Jesus has got His twelve. All the miracles they've seen. All the works of Jesus they've seen. All the power they've seen display. All the authority they've seen display. What about you? What about me? Have we seen the work of Christ in our lives? Have we seen Him pull us through some things? Have we, have we experienced Him? Have we, we've read the scriptures? We've seen the work of Christ. And they've seen the work. They've actually hosted Him. He was there. But it says that they wouldn't change. Why wouldn't they change? Why wouldn't they change? I'd say they wouldn't change because they got too comfortable. And they loved comfortable more than they loved Christ. I think we can love comfortable more than we love Christ. We can love comfortable what the world calls normal, more than we can desire uh, to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives. When you run to comfy, you run from your calling. Ultimately, you're running away from Christ and you can stay stuck in your dysfunction and you can stay stuck in your comfortable, dysfunctional, jacked up, life. He began to rebuke these cities. It says, He began to rebuke the cities in which most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They heard it, but they didn't apply it. They heard it, but they didn't change. They heard it, but they chose to stay in the familiar, to stay in the comfortable. And He rebuked three cities, one being... Capernaum, and you, Capernaum, 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 who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So I want to ask you today, this morning, will you respond? Will you respond to that? And a lot of times the loudest response is not jumping out of your seat and running down to an altar, which I do like that. But the loudest response is not what you necessarily do out here for me to see, but the loudest response is in your heart. That's the loudest response is in your heart. And um, the King's here. Jesus is here. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus is here to confront. And it's up to you whether we're going to... And it's up to me. It's up to all of us whether we're going to remain in the dysfunction, remain in the comfortable life, remain in the what's familiar, or if we're going to let Jesus address and work on us, confront issues, repent, Jesus came out of heaven and um, he came out of the heated seats and the lazy boy recliners and he did that you know what that means you can do it he got out of a grave he got up and got out of a grave you know what that means You can get up and get out of your dysfunction. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all get something out of it today? It's 10.57. We usually don't get out to 12. We got like another hour. John didn't change the clock. He's like, give me a minute I'll change it. The loudest loudest decision you can make in your heart. So let's go back to when we started this morning. Come out with your hands up. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. And He's speaking to the the spirit of dysfunction, the, the spirit that's got its hand on your relationship, any evil spirit, sickness, disease. He's speaking to Satan this morning rebuking him. He's got his hand on your finances. He's speaking to it. Get his hand on your marriage. He's speaking to it. He's speaking to that. He's speaking to that dysfunction. And Jesus is confronting you, confronting it in you, saying, Come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. Amen. So, what's occupying space in your life? What needs to come out with its hand up? You know why the hands are up? Not armed. Not armed. Satan's lost his authority. Satan's lost his power. Satan doesn't have any weapons because he's toothless. He can roar, but he doesn't have any power or authority. Amen? Come out with your hands up. Praise the Lord. Awkward, quiet, or is it? Sometimes it's a peaceful quiet. Let's close your eyes for a moment. We're not even gonna stand up this morning. We to close your eyes, right there where you're sitting. Like I said, sometimes the loudest shout and the loudest decision you ever makes, right there in your heart. So while we're being quiet in the Holy Spirit, This you where you're sitting to say, Holy Spirit, what needs to come out? What needs to come out? I want to find comfort in you, through you, in your Word, in the calling you have for my life, and not in worldly things. But you're the God of all comfort. And maybe you've been finding comfort in other things. And now you're saying, I'm coming out with my hands up. Let's just be quiet for about a minute. You just talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the words you spoke to us this morning. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us, to pick us up when we fall, to go before us, to go behind us, to hold our hands. We just thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for all your mercy. We thank thank you that where our sin abounds, your grace much more abounds. Father, we thank you that you're the God of all comfort. We thank you for confronting our issues this morning. Not condemning, but confronting and comforting us through your Holy Spirit. We just thank you, Lord, that we're leaving out today better than we came in. We're leaving out with a new kind of comfort, the real comfort, a peace that surpasses all understanding that can be found none other than through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for it. We praise You for it. We give You all the glory and all the honor. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Well, y'all, can, y'all can leave now. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day.